Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 160 of the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast created by Seekers and for Seekers. And what are our shout-outs today, Tracy? Our shout-outs today are to Edward and Catherine and to everybody who's been listening to our show for 160 episodes or dove in somewhere in the middle. We're glad to have all of you guys listening. Three full years, going almost three and a half years. We're working on our fourth year of, of releasing, and we haven't been... We haven't released every Friday. We haven't list. We haven't released fifty-two episodes a year, but we've come pretty close. I mean, we those, had an average had, of forty to five right. or so episodes. So, uh, okay. and our quote. Our quote. I'm not sure who said it. It was a just unknown, but it says, "Every time I judge someone, I reveal an unhealed part of myself." I and, really like that. And that's and I think you mentioned that in our last episode and mm-hmm. we're recording in our last episode and uh, and we talked you into using it again. Uh, last episode we discussed letting go. We used a very simple illustration of an event happening in our early childhood where we did something that every kid does at some point, we wet our pants. But since it was in, pu- in a public setting like our kindergarten class, we attached a lot of negative emotion and energy to that event, and we kept it alive all these years, even though it doesn't serve us in any positive way. We talked about how we are unforgiving of ourselves, and this is important, and often we project this unforgiveness on others. After all, if I can't forgive myself for doing this, how am I supposed to forgive you? We mentioned how this line of thinking may have been the way Jesus intended for us to learn to forgive, but our religion took the stand that Jesus was saying that if we don't force ourselves to forgive others, then we can't be forgiven. Now, the question is, can true forgiveness be a forced effort? No, absolutely not. I have said it because it was the Christian thing to do and oh, not I, I meant forgive it them. at all. I, for, I forgive them. Oh, I, I forgive them. I, now, I forgive them. And then you start saying real bad stuff about yeah, them. Yeah, all the now, while, I still have all that, yeah. you know, well, turmoil inside yeah. of me. So. I'll never forget. I was talking to a woman one time and I was like, well, I forgive them. She said, do you? She said, when you think about all of that stuff, she said, do you feel yourself blush a little bit internally? So do you feel your heart rate pick up a little bit? Do you cringe just a little bit? Because she said, if you're still having any kind of emotional reaction, you're not over it. You've That's not right. forgiven. That's She's true. like, forgiveness is a process. It's not something you do when you say, I forgive this person. And as we talked in the last episode, that forgiveness, uh, a lot of it's based on because we don't forgive ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we don't talk about, you know, we talk, we even say, God, please forgive me. But what about forgiving ourselves? What about just because yeah. really God's internal, right? It's, yes. He's internal. I mean, the spirit, the great divine energy is spirit inside of us. All we have to do is speak the forgiveness ourselves and we're forgiven. Mm-hmm. But we don't like to do that because, well, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes we like to just hold on to that negative stuff. We get used to it. It becomes our life. It becomes the way we live. We like hanging on to those old negative things with all that negative energy. The if familiar we did, feels if, safe. If we didn't, mm-hmm. we wouldn't spend so much time there. We wouldn't spend so much time in it. I've learned to myself that my inability to forgive others is directly related to my ability to forgive myself or my inability to forgive myself, I should say. I may fake forgiveness for another, we just talked about that, while secretly harboring resentment for that person or their actions in my own heart and mind. In short, I may be uh, externally meeting a requirement of a religious command or law, but internally I am not meeting the spirit of the whole thing. May Jesus have been pointing this out to religious leaders of his day when he said of them, you keep the outside of the cup sparkling clean while the inside of the cup is nasty and unwashed. I think it fits with that. I know, like Tabby and I have discussed, I've definitely been that person. He goes, no, I forgive you for that. And then as soon as they turn around, you're giving them the stink eye as they walk away. (laughs) Well, and not only that, you know, let's look at Jesus' quote. The outside of the cup sparkling clean while the inside. We always take the negative. Well, Jesus was telling them they're going to have to do their their bad. No, my Jesus had been saying, you're going to have to, the only way you can clean the inside of that cup is start forgiving yourself for a bunch mm-hmm. of that stuff. And the inside of the cup will be as clean as the outside cup. What about the, cup the what about the line of, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Well, and well, the reality is we don't have the capacity, but there again, we talked about in the last episode, why didn't we, why haven't remembered all of those embarrassing things? Why haven't we remembered all exactly. those things? Why do we just pick a, why is it we just pick a few things, mistakes that we made and we harbor those and hang on to those and just keep feeding emotion to those and fueling those things to keep them alive? I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I was going to say, I think that's something that probably that everybody could work out on their own with, yeah, because I don't know. Might this also be interpreted, at least in the conversation we're having, of not so much harboring sinful and lustful thoughts, like everybody thought that's what Jesus was saying, you've got all this sin inside you. But actually, we don't forgive ourselves of our own past mistakes. Therefore, we may appear to be happy and forgiving on the outside, but we're harboring feelings of resentment and regret on the inside, especially toward ourselves. What do you think about that? Have you ever been, and maybe this is just me because I do have intrusive thoughts and things like that. You're just walking through Walmart or walking down the street, whatever. You're having a good day. And all of a sudden, your brain honestly goes, do you remember that time that you were really mean to that person when you were 13? And you just stop and go, why now? Why why did you have to? And I, I think we... I think most people do that to a degree. I think I think our Christian religion has really put in us to be self-condemning, that that's, that's a fault to be appreciated, that that's something to be honored if you're really self-condemning. And you can't be self-condemning and not condemn everybody else at the same time. That's right. Uh, I don't think we're very good. I don't think the Christian religion has been very good at relieving people of their emotional suffering over mistakes and things like that. I can agree with that. Uh Today, I would like for us to talk about negative attachments and how to identify them and start working on letting them go, because that's really these two episodes back to back have been about letting go. 
That's really all we're talking about when we talk about letting go, isn't it? Removing the negative emotional attachment we have made to the event. And thus, we don't keep replaying the event. Uh, we, uh, you know, and we don't just keep reliving those negative emotions that don't serve us today in any positive way, but they actually hold us back from being happy and free. We can't be happy and free a lot of time. I, I said, and now I've got to the place in my life that one of those things will come up and I say, okay, let's think about that. Get mind, tell me what it is that you, and, and, lay, and I say, okay, I'm letting that go. Yeah. I'm releasing that. That's done. I'm not, I'm not. Okay. Do you realize when you do that a couple of times, your mind will quit bringing that to you. The if you mind, won't follow it down the rabbit hole. Yeah. The mind always wants to take you into those dark, negative places. And I don't really know why. Okay. We hang on to maintain and keep alive these unpleasant events because we've attached a lot of negative emotions and energy to these events. So far, we have kept this discussion sort of benign by using such an insignificant example as, as wetting ourselves in, in kindergarten or something. Now, as traumatic as this may have been as a child, it pales in comparison to something like a betrayal to a partner or by a partner or someone we trusted or loved, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can't. Just think if we're, if we're, I guess what the point I'm trying to make here is if we're still suffering and anguishing and agonizing over some little silly thing we had no, that we did, then how much more are we likely to make that a pattern of life and we agonize over the big things that happened to us? I think that's really, I'm sorry, did no, I cut you, you go off? Right ahead. I think that's for me at least I've realized is where a lot of my problem lies is with my pattern of thinking because the more that I let my my mind track down those negative things and keep pulling those up, then it, it becomes a spiral and you just continue down that pit of, well, what about this and this? Well, what about this? And you start to completely lose track of anything good that happens to you because you're so caught up with all of the negative. And I, I hope that as you start to pull on those positives and keep those in your mind and focus on those more, that those negatives will diminish. I'm not there yet, but it seems to be getting a little better. So do you think that the reason these things keep coming up in our minds is that it's something we really haven't dealt with? It comes up and we shove it away. We don't say, you don't look I'm at it. I'm releasing this. Yeah. We yeah, just we don't, shove it back down to the bottom. But, I mean, would there be... But yet we almost enjoy... Yeah, it's like we almost enjoy it becomes such a life pattern that we just enjoy bringing those negative things, you know, when we're sitting around and letting it's like, but do why? You think why, it, do, why do we why do we torture ourselves like that? And you're not a psychologist. I'm saying no, 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 giving our opinion. But no. do you think that there is profit in? OK, my mind has brought this up. Let's look at this from let's, all let's, angles. Let's let's, let's get through this. Yeah. Let's let's get down the, to the nitty gritty yeah. of yeah. why I feel but, this way. And then I can release it. That's, that's, that's basic- it. When I'm done, when we look at this, this time mind, mm. this we're going to look time. through it. And then you're going to stop. I'm not going to discuss it any farther. Yeah, and, I think. And, and I think then we just own it and say, well, I did it. And it's over. I can't, I can't undo it. And sometimes that's all I can do is just say. Okay, I did it. I own it. it. You know, do you think sometimes we just don't own it? I think. I yeah. think I. I'm we're still not making lie. excuse. You yeah. think we're still making excuse? Well, I only did that because I try to justify my behavior because of what they did. Yeah. And then, but I just. But then we really don't there, own it. There have been things that I have pushed away, and I'll think about it, and then I push it away. But when and it's not pretty, 
And it's yeah. not always fun. But when you just really delve into it, okay, why am I going through this yeah. continually? Yeah, why am I keeping this alive? Why am I feeding this? It's an unnegative attachment of you That's that it. you have to heal. Well, it's kind of like your quote was. Uh, so we talked about, you know, in comparison, you know, something like a betrayal by a partner or someone we trusted or we loved. So, in, so why might be the common denominator in all of these events? Of course, we have attached a lot of negative emotion to the event. We were humiliated. We were mm-hmm. embarrassed. But I've discovered about myself that the real common denominator in all of my negative attachments, big or small, is that the event made me feel vulnerable. I can't I fe- agree with that. I felt victim. Mm. I felt like a victim to an event that was absolutely outside my ability to prevent from happening. So I think that by preserving and reliving that event over and over, I will never be vulnerable to it or, or allow it to repeat itself. Do you think that might be part of it? It's This is really something that is ingrained in us, though, our entire lives. If you don't learn from the past, you're just going to repeat the same mistakes in uh-huh. your future. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And we, I think that we let those things really get into our mind instead of going, okay. I guess there was a lesson there, but now we've learned the lesson, so drop it. I think maybe that's why religion is so uncomfortable. It's so counterproductive, uh, especially the Christian religion, because the Christian religion leaves you feeling very vulnerable. Yes. Very vulnerable to everything, to devil, to God, Mm -hmm. to, you know, you're vulnerable to all of these things. And and vulnerability is really what we're trying to run from. We don't Mm want to ever be vulnerable. Well... In my unprofessional, unqualified opinion, uh, at least by the world standard of who is qualified to have an opinion, but in my opinion, negative attachment and refusal to let things go is a product of my conditioning by having always lived in survival mode. As we have discussed, surviving is not living. Surviving is purely self-preservation at all costs, even if I have to sacrifice peace and happiness. And that's what a lot of people do. I think a lot of people just get through life and we're just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. We're just, yeah. we're just staying in survival. Something 100% honesty I've struggled with most of my life. I, I just exist from day to day because today's good. Well, that means probably tomorrow something's going to happen. And yeah. that, that is a very... Living on the other shoe. But that's, that's a fear of being vulnerable, right? And mm-hmm. then we... So that's part of what's feeding this negative attachment. But as I have worked through, I've also found, and it's a little off topic, but a lot of mine came from the Christian world of if I step wrong, if I'm not perfect, God is going to... Punish you. Or at least he's going to withhold his favor. He's going to do something yeah. to make things not go right. That's right. So... Okay, when we have these events that make us feel vulnerable, how many of us say things like, I've learned my lesson. I'll never allow myself to be in a position for that to ever happen again. I'll never let that person have another chance. Have we ever said that? Well, or just anyone. It's not just that person. Anyone. Yeah. So now we're telling our mind, good job, mind. Mm -hmm. Good job. Just keep bringing this up and keep reminding me of this because you're doing a good job. And the thing we were vulnerable to we were going to be vulnerable to it regardless. There was nothing we could do short of knowing ahead of time that that person was going to do that. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't have had that or it wouldn't have happened if we'd have had that kind of information. Isn't that, isn't it crazy? The circle that we, that we put ourselves in and, and, we might accomplish that goal as far as never letting it happen again, as far as publicly wetting our pants, Mm -hmm. we might say, 
I ne- I'll never fall asleep in class again. So I avoided that vulnerability. But if we apply that same approach to a betrayal in a relationship, things get complicated. What we're really saying and don't realize it is that I will never fully trust anyone in any relationship again. I will keep this unpleasant experience alive to ensure that I don't ever feel vulnerable again. Now, isn't this the equivalent of never eating again because we once got food poisoning? Yeah. Or ever riding in a car again because we were in an accident that was in no manner our fault. We were just guilty of being in a car. Mm -hmm. I think I go back to Brene Brown and I've mentioned her several times, but she has um, some writings called The Power of Vulnerability. I think she actually did some talks on YouTube that you can look up. And she talks about how if you're going to heal yourself after you've been hurt and you're going to move on in relationships, whether they're work relationships, you know, romantic, whatever, that you have to learn to be vulnerable because you can't love someone, including yourself, without being vulnerable. Well, anytime you have any relationship (laughs) in life, it's risky. Yes. Having any relationship with anyone, even with your children, it's risky. I think that's why a lot of parents withhold their love for their child. They don't want to be vulnerable to their child making a mistake and hurting them. So are there outside forces that are teaching us to not be vulnerable is our environment and we don't realize it? What is the real cause of why we're so scared? Or is it just everyone's vulnerable until they've been hurt and then they start learning how to... And I think for some people, in my opinion, I think for some people those teaching you not to be vulnerable start very young in life and 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 those are those are how we get all those negative attachments because Mm -hmm. we're really it's self-preservation it's it's survival that's what we're trying to and we're not wanting that emotional hurt but yet we relive that emotional hurt every day just so we don't ever have to relive that emotional hurt Mm -hmm. yes isn't that crazy i mean it'll never happen again because i'll just keep living this one well i mean i can yeah because i've been there i still struggle i mean uh what about those who benefit and profit from exploiting our vulnerability? Oh, Does that man. contribute to our condition of harboring negative attachments? Do you have life insurance to protect your assets and your loved ones should you die? Do you have an extended warranty on your automobile to avoid costly repairs on your <laughs> aging automobile? If you vote for this person, he or she's going to do this or that, which will leave you vulnerable to this or that. But if I get elected, I'll fight to keep you from being vulnerable. Isn't all this exploiting our negative attachments and our feelings of of vulnerability? Isn't that all they're doing? I'm going to be honest. Some of the life insurance commercials out there are just borderline traumatic. The way they, I just can't believe they're going to have to lose their whole house and move in with her brother because he didn't have life insurance. And I'm not in any way. I know we pick on that one. Life insurance is not a bad thing to have. Everyone's going to need it eventually. Well, I got news for you folks. It's death insurance. It ain't life yeah, insurance. that's right. exactly. It pays on your death, not it's on your living. Benefits, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. But trying to terrify people into buying it or to guilt them into thinking, well, no. look what could happen. Making them feel vulnerable. Yes. And this will reduce your, because we feel vulnerable at every turn. And we've never learned that we're really vulnerable to anything. We can breathe one germ in. Well, death is the we, ultimate We can take one germ into the body and and we can die from it. But we don't sit and worry about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are people that do. I yes. mean, there's people who just. Obsessed. Yeah. I mean, look at, uh, what was what was the guy? I can't think of his name. Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Yeah. I mean, he just went in, in, in as a recluse because of that. Uh, 
What if we could overcome, at least to a great degree, our fears attached to feeling vulnerable? Perhaps the first step is to seriously think about how our attempts to protect ourselves from vulnerability is not only futile, but how it restricts our lives and it robs us of the joy of even living life. It also causes us to tend to want to restrict the lives of those we love. Have you thought of this? If they are vulnerable, it triggers our feelings of vulnerability. So might we actually cause those we love to resent us because they mistake our conditioning to avoid vulnerable situations as trying to restrict and control their lives? Don't go do that. If you go do that. This could happen. Uh You realize what could happen, and this could happen, and it makes us feel, and we place our vulnerability on our children. Our, our fear of being vulnerable, we place that on our children and our children. So it's, I, it's, it's a cycle that we just keep on. And I thought it was really interesting. I read an article a couple of weeks ago that sort of tied in with that idea of vulnerability. And the guy calls it broken arm syndrome. And he said that a lot of the reason that younger generations are having trouble with problem-solving skills that older generations had is because when your parents sent you outside to play and you jumped off of the swing and you fell and you broke your arm, then you learned a valuable lesson there that you're not going to jump off of the swing like that anymore. Whereas kids tend to be very protected now from their parents' understanding of things that can happen, that kids don't just fall off the swing and break their arm anymore. So in a lot of ways, they're kept from ever learning how to solve those problems themselves that was off topic i just no, no, no that's that it's true i can see that because we pass on our fear of being vulnerable mm-hmm. and we put it on everybody around us learning to let go is the only way out of this terrible life condition let go of negative attachments letting go of negative attachments that we have convinced ourselves serves and protects us when all those things do is restrict our lives and rob us of the joy of living right now when we've Uh, When we have thoughts of withdrawing from society, moving to a remote area and living off the grid or escaping to a remote island, we're really falling victim to our own increasing desire to avoid situations that make us feel vulnerable, not realizing that any of these situations will present a whole new set of vulnerable scenarios. I mean, like bears. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're going to go out and live in the snakes and the spiders and the ticks and the without air conditioning and without, you know. Think about that. My husband. You're just trading one set. You're you're just trading one set of vulnerable. This is a little bit off topic, but DJ and I have been watching reruns of Alone. Have you ever watched it? No, I think it's they take you out and put you on a. They put ten people on an island, you know, or somewhere to survive. And you survive, and you are alone. Yeah. It's you and your camera. That's it. It's really funny to watch how some people can embrace being vulnerable. And make it. And some get so scared. A couple of them haven't made it but one night. But the one guy who won the very first season, I have to say, he did it. He was so introspective. And he was so reflective about everything that happened. And just, and he was, he even said he was making, you know, his, with the creator and with creation. And he was learning how to be. He really made the most out of what? Yeah. Yeah. Like we're supposed to do every life Mm -hmm. circumstance. Instead of avoiding life circumstances, we're supposed to lean into them. 
when something comes that makes us and feel I vulnerable, we should him. we should learn to lean in. Oh, I'm sorry. We should learn to lean into into that. I'm sorry, someone had their headphones it, on about the time. Because <laughs> I, I probably would have been one of those that left fairly quickly. Because the thought of being all by myself. Well, I don't think you would have probably ever well, no, signed I up to do it to start with. So <laughs> that's what Steve and I joke about. Because I always tell him like I'm just going to run off to the desert because I loved. We went to the desert a year or two ago and I absolutely adored it. It was beautiful. But I told him, I said, my biggest fear is that I know all of the dangerous stuff around here. You know, we ha- don't really have scorpions yeah. or right. things like that here. I'm like, I know that we have three snakes in Arkansas that can kill you and two spiders. And yeah. I can handle that. I'm like, but then when you go to the desert, you've got to figure out all these animals that can kill you. I'm like, I don't, I'm too old to learn all that stuff. <laughs> and, those, and those are serious. I mean, exactly. like I said, but that's what I'm saying. We can't escape vulnerability. We're only going to trade one set of vulnerable circumstances for another. another, That's all we're going to do. We have to learn to deal with living. And the only thing we feel, I've said this before, all fear is attached to fear of death. Mm -hmm. If we will allow ourselves to die, give ourselves permission. When you get ready, body, just go ahead and die. Yeah. Because. uh, You can't stop it anyway. Yeah, you're not going to stop. When we, because all, that's all we're feeling vulnerable about. A bull about right mm-hmm. is this might kill us yeah i had food poisoning once i was cautious for a while I'll probably even look closer at the things i ate for a while but i did not allow it to develop into a disorder that kept me from ever enjoying food again as preposterous as that would be i have allowed my other negative attachments and attempts to avoid repeating certain vulnerable situations deeply restrict my joy of living mm-hmm. I suggest, as I have done, to start seeking out ways to let go of negative attachments that only serve to cause us to distrust God or whatever the universe, the whatever, whatever the creation or whatever. Uh, it only causes us to distrust God in the universe and to continue to live in survival mode, which isn't living at all. It's really just surviving. And what are we surviving for just to get to the place we die? Wow. Uh, this one really, again, these last two episodes, if you guys are like me, I'm probably going to have to cycle through them a right. few times to kind of process everything. And the only thing I can suggest is, folks, there's a lot, there's a lot of hypnosis and meditation on YouTube that's absolutely free, that's about releasing, letting go of negative attachments, mm-hmm. positive reinforcement. I know you think that's silly, but when you're asleep at night and you listen several nights to positive reinforce, your vulnerability level drops. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, because I, if I miss a few nights of my meditation, yeah. it makes a difference in the way my day goes. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll, do, I'll say, well, does. tonight I'm just going to watch mm-hmm. a comedy. I'm just going to turn on an old episode yeah. of Amos and Andy on the old radio shows yeah. and listen to that. Well, it's not the same. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm kind of anxious and I'll flip over and turn on my meditation mm-hmm. thing where I can get caught up on that. Did anyone have any comments or suggestions? We're not. I know we didn't. You said, well, you didn't tell us how to get... There's plenty, there's plenty. All we're trying to do is point out negative attachments, our feeling of vulnerability, and it's, it's, it's up to you. And it may take, if, if, if you're one of those people, happen to be one of those people, that you're just, you just don't leave your house. Right. You're just a, there's professional help for yes, that. We seek is. professional counseling and help. 
And remember that just because something we suggest that works for us works really well, that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And you might need to sit down with a therapist and talk to somebody who can help step you through this. That's okay, too. We're living in an age now where you can just use your iPad and do it. Yeah. You know, see someone online. Does anyone have anything else to say? I think that's it. As always, until next time, may the unconditional grace, peace, and love of the divine designer of the universe be owned in and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.